Hello and welcome to the first episode of Autism Awareness. I'm Noah Russell. I'm Summer Temple. And today we are going to talk about um, autism and our friends on the spectrum. Now, <clears throat> before we dive right into it, I want to we want to just give you a small um, gist of what's going on with uh, with this podcast and why we're doing it. So the reasoning <clears throat> behind this podcast is basically um, we want to share experiences and share information of what it's like to be on the spectrum and what it's like to be related to somebody on the spectrum. So I happen to be somebody who is on the spectrum. And I am the parent of a seven-year-old boy on the spectrum. Yes. And so um, this information uh, is purely coming from experience, which we want to address that um, all of this is coming from experience. We're not registered BCBAs. We're not, uh, we, we, we don't have like clinical experience in the field. This is all from personal life experience. So we also figured that um, it would be a little more easier and maybe a little more comforting to hear about this information from a, uh, from a personal standpoint rather than from a clinical standpoint. So uh, now we're going to dive right into it. Uh, we're going to kick things off with uh, misconceptions. And uh, so what we're going to do is Summer is going to uh, read the misconceptions and I'm going to explain why they're misconceptions. So Summer, take it away. All right. This is a list of 10 autism misconceptions from a website, Autism Misconceptions for Smarties. Number one, all children with autism have savant-like abilities. Well, um, not all of them do. Um, so here's, here's, a, here's how to address this. Um, for those of for those of you who do not know what a savant is, a savant is somebody who has like a steel trap memory to, um, you know, to piece things word from word, but also do not have communication skills. Now, when I think of savant, I think of the movie Rain Man with um, uh, Tom Cruise and Dustin Hoffman. And Dustin Hoffman's character, Raymond, I believe his name is, uh, is a character who is on the spectrum, but also has a savant-like ability. And throughout the movie, he always recites to himself the Abbott and Costello, who's on first, what's on second, I don't know, is on third routine. Just word for word, over and over again, back and forth. Um, now, even though we Aspies do have a really good memory, we don't repeatedly repeat things word for word to ourselves. So no, not every uh, Aspie is a savant. So next. Number two, a child's meltdowns are intentional and manipulative. Well, um, yes and no. Uh, I say yes because I have seen uh, a lot of children on the spectrum who would actually throw tantrums just to get what they want or try to um, uh, do somewhat of a what I call a lawyer argument speech just to, just to get what they want. Uh, but no, not every person is like that. I'm I'm personally not like that. I, I'm not manipulative. I, I I won't you know go crazy to get what I want. Um, but uh, he, here's the truth though, and from from what I this is from what I've read uh, on the internet and talking to some people is that um, a person who's on the spectrum, uh, they may be a certain age chronologically, but their brain hasn't caught up with their chronological state. Uh, that is not to say that we're uh, we're you know, like big kids or anything like that. We just um, have a little bit of trouble developing what's appropriate and what's not, and that's that's just who we are. So, 
but no, not every not every person on the spectrum is manipulative, and not every tantrum is um, in, intentional. Most of the time, it'll it'll happen because we're overwhelmed. Yes, and I will note with Lucas, my son, that um, I see no manipulation with him. Uh, for instance, when he breaks something, mm -hmm. there's no thought of hiding it. There's no thought of lying about it to me. He brings the item right to me and says, Mom, I broke it. Can we fix it? So I just see truth and honesty from him and nothing along the lines of manipulation at all. Yeah, he's a good kid. Number three, a child who is nonverbal has nothing to say. Uh, completely untrue. <clears throat> um, I know lots of uh, children and even adults who are on the spectrum that cannot speak a word, but thanks to modern technology, they have uh, the iPads and tablets and stuff where they actually know what they want. They, they have the ability and, and the, the mind power to actually know what they want to say. Um, but also, I think before modern technology, um, I think they would learn to communicate with sign language. And I, I personally hope they still do that. If they don't, I mean, I can understand why because of modern technology. But um, just because a person can't speak doesn't mean they don't have communication skills. Uh, again, I, I, I've worked with a client before when I was a, when I was a registered behavioral therapist. Um, my client was, I think, two or three years old. Uh, he didn't really speak a word, but he had his tablet and he knew what he knew what he wanted. He would touch that button if he wanted uh, juice or if he wanted his toy truck. So, and I would note that Lucas, when he was younger, before he had um, the language um, that he has now. You could see the frustration in him that he wanted to say something. He wanted to communicate. He just wasn't finding the right words or, or stringing the right words together um, to tell me. So definitely. Right. Okay, number four. A child who wants friends can't have autism. Uh, that is very untrue and, if I may say, very offensive. Because <clears throat> that also falls under the stereotype of of um, all people with Asperger's or autism are loners and have no friends. Um, for those who do not have friends, sometimes it's purely by choice because some people who are on the spectrum like solitude, and that's okay. I mean, even even neurotypicals like solitude, and that and that's okay. But with us, sometimes it's purely by choice, or or other times. Uh, we don't have friends because we don't get accepted. We were always outcast. People think that we're too weird, too annoying, or we just purely don't fit in, which really is sad because that's probably one of the reasons why a lot of people who are on the spectrum have depression or feel left out because they just won't be accepted. And what's really sad about even these days is that there are still cliques in middle school and high school. You got your greasers, you got your jocks, you got your, uh, you know, popular girls and everything. Me, I was an island in high school, not because I wasn't accepted, but because it was like almost a choice. I was like, um, in a way, I was like Fonzie in high school. You know, I, I didn't hang out with gangs or greasers or anything. You know, I would basically, you know, just coast from person to person or from group to group and say hello and, you know, talk to them and move on to the next one. And I noticed with Lucas, when he was younger, he really wanted to be a part of things. He just, he wasn't sure how, how to interject himself into something. 
And I noticed now um, with a lot more therapy and support and help, he is very interactive with those um, close to him, like his sister or cousins come over and he's like, hey, let's go swing. Hey, let's go play. He wants to follow them around the house and, and be a part of what they're doing. Yeah, totally. And and I'm really glad to hear that because that, that goes to show you that that we actually want to have friends. We want to, you know, be with people. Uh, you know, we don't we don't like being loners. Nobody does. Number five, children with autism have no ability to empathize. That's uh, completely untrue as well. Um, people may think that because um, there are some people who are on the spectrum who, um, who have trouble um, expressing it. And I hate to say it is kind of true that there are some people on the spectrum who just do not care because they, they think about what they want. Um, but for the people who do have empathy, they have trouble showing it mostly because it's an uncomfortable moment. And with us, uncomfortable moments are um, a little too tense for us. Uh, it could be if a friend is sick or if, uh, or if a family member is in the hospital or whatever. Um, we have trouble showing it, again, because it's an uncomfortable moment. And when we have uncomfortable moments, our brains kind of, um, are, they're all over the place. We don't know what to say how to say it because, you know, we're walking on eggshells and it's a very delicate moment. And if we say the one wrong thing, then it'll just go crazy. So we're, we're just trying to be careful. That's all. And I noticed with Lucas that definitely this is a misconception because when, you know, he was about three and a half and starting to get diagnosed and I was looking up characteristics of autism and looking at Lucas to find similarities I was having a tough time in some ways. And one of the reasons was um, this instance where he was sick. He was on the couch. I, I came in to check on him. I was kind of tucking the blanket in around him saying, are you okay? And he looks straight up into my eyes and says, don't worry, mommy. And I was thinking to myself, okay, he just recognized my feelings. He acknowledged them, you know, and he, he made great eye contact. And I was thinking there's three characteristics right there that they say is a sign of autism but he's right here doing them there you go absolutely and uh and there it is right there there's your explanation so next six a child must make eye contact to comprehend verbal communication from others well um yes and no i mean eye contact is important and it's also it's polite you know, it, it, it is uh, polite to maintain eye contact. And uh, it is actually pretty true that a certain uh, characteristic or symptom of autism is lack of eye contact. Now, I want to express that lack of eye contact has nothing to do with being rude, has nothing to do with uh, being polite. It's mostly because it's a comfort thing. Um, here's the best way I can explain it. Voiceover artists, when they do their thing, they have to be very animated. They have to, you know, uh, wave their hands around and be animated. Uh, if not, then it's, they feel constrained. They feel tight. With us, if we look at, if we're staring at one thing and one thing only, and that also counts with eyes, then we feel tight, constrained. And we even feel like we're in trouble because there are lots of times where, where people would say in a very usual way, look at me, look at me, and point at their eyes. It, it's like, stop, stop, you know, it's, it, they're, it's uncomfortable. And an interesting story, which I don't know if I ever told you about Lucas. Um, for a long time, he had a great aversion to cutting his hair. Mm -hmm. 
and it was getting longer and longer and longer. And he started with a new therapist, um, a great therapist, lots of experience, but new to his team. And one day um, I was dropping Lucas off and he was standing right next to me and uh, the therapist and I started talking and he asked, uh, how do you feel about cutting his hair? And I said, oh my gosh, we would love that. You know, if you, you know, see what you can do to make that happen. We've been trying for a long time um, and having a lot of difficulty. Well, later that day, I pick him up and he brings out a bag, therapist, and it has Lucas's hair in it. And he told me that when they got in the room uh, later in the day, Lucas went over, grabbed a pair of scissors on his own and cut his hair. Now, I thought to myself, did he, he heard that conversation between Rick and I outside? Right. Did he hear that and then realize, well, they want me to do it. Maybe I'll go do it. Ask and you shall receive. But he yeah. didn't make eye contact with either of us while, he, while we were having that conversation. But yeah. he obviously was listening to what was going on. He's got some James Bond skills going on there. Yep. Okay. Seven. A child who has difficulty communicating verbally is of low intelligence. Untrue and offensive. <clears throat> Again. Um, uh, there are lots of people who are on the spectrum who um, literally do not have the ability to speak. Maybe it could be because um, their brain doesn't comprehend it, or maybe they're mute, or maybe, um, I mean, there could be a whole lot of reasons. But again, this goes back to the, uh, to the communication thing where you know, thanks to modern technology, they can communicate through tablets and iPads or even through sign language or even through shorthand. So communication skills has nothing to do with intelligence. It's just all about abilities. Maybe they don't have the ability to speak. So, And there are numerous studies coming out now showing that used to be that half to three quarters of kids on the spectrum were also diagnosed with an intellectual uh, disability. But now they're finding it's coming down to a third of them are being diagnosed with an intellectual disability. So as we find out more about it and new ways to communicate with um, kids on the spectrum and ABA therapy and such that we're seeing them blossom. Yeah, that's terrific. Number eight, a child who scores <laughs> low on standardized tests must be intellectually delayed in addition to having autism. Um. Okay, so let me let me explain this from my point of view. So um, testing, or, or just uh, school testing in general, it's not for everybody. Uh, now, scoring low on a test, it could be because you didn't study for it, or, and I hate to admit this, but uh, for me, I would just... Um, like to get out of a test, I would just like, you know, do boop, boop. I, I just like fill in a bunch of random bubbles and, and that would be it. But um, it has nothing to do with low intelligence. Again, it, it could be because you didn't study for it or it could be because you just want to uh, get out of it. But um, that that's the thing about about schools, though. You know, they uh, they always rely on tests to um, to look at, you know, intelligence and, and whatnot. Uh, there, there are people who are really smart but just didn't study that that's just purely how it is. So um, there's a lot of gray areas. And there's some people who just don't do well on tests in general as well, you whether go. you're on the spectrum or not. Exactly. And I think we're seeing now a trend in a lot of universities that are going away from putting such a high standard on your SAT and ACT score. Exactly. Yeah. And looking more at the person as a whole mm -hmm. and not just how they do on a 
a te- time test. Yeah. Okay. Number nine. Autism is caused by bad parenting. Terrible. Terrible. That is very terrible. That's Aut- horrible. Yeah. Autism has nothing, nothing at all to do with bad parenting. Zero. And that's another thing. Um, they Everybody automatically blames the parents. Autism, I, I just want to make this very, very clear. Autism is something you're born with. No, you don't, you know, um, it, it's not caused by bad parenting. And for the love of God, no, it, it, it is not caused by vaccine. There, there, was that all, there was a big rumor that vaccine caused autism. Nothing causes autism. You are born with it. I just want to put it out there. You are born with it. That's a whole other podcast for us to go into. Absolutely. But, <laughs> so, um, but no, it has nothing to do with bad parenting. Um, there are people with autism who have bad parents. That is true. But um, there are people on the spectrum who, who did have bad parents, but are doing just fine on their own because they're growing up a little, a little faster than usual. So do not blame the parents. It's not their fault. And I would say as a parent, especially to the parents out there that maybe are just starting that process of having their child being diagnosed and going through those stages, is at some point or another, and I did this myself, you may have that moment of of thinking for a second, like, I did something wrong, like, I didn't do enough, or this or that, and just, you know, um, just try not to let those thoughts um, get toxic in your head or infiltrate you, because... They're no good. They're not true. And you just have to move on and accept. Right. And, um, and even though I'm not a parent, I can, I can tell you as a parent with a kid with or without autism, there's only so much you can do. And, and the rest is just up to the kid. So please, please don't be so hard on yourselves. I'm going to say this to people who are also on the spectrum. Please stop being so hard on yourself. You know, bashing yourself is toxic. So just, um, again, there's all, there's only so much you can do with your kid, no matter how old they are, you know, you, you can guide them, you can help them, but the results is all up to them. Number 10, a child can stop being autistic if he just buckles down and tries harder to behave. Oh my God. If I had a dollar every time I heard that, I would be Bruce Wayne by now. (laughs) So, uh, okay. So yes, that also falls under the, um, the common line of you could be normal if you tried. Now, yes, while it is true, while it is true, it is very important to buckle down in school and, you know, to study hard. That is very true. But autism does kind of, uh, with a lot of people, it does get in the way of school, mostly because people on the spectrum have interests like, like rock solid interests. And if there is something that they have no interest in, they will not do it. Not because they don't choose to, but because their brain just will not, you know, put in that interest. And that, that, was, that was me. So one of my special abilities is to, I recite movie lines and I know movie trivia and whatnot. And every time, every single time I would do that, people would say, if you can remember all of that, why can't you apply that in your schoolwork? Well. The answer is simple. My brain doesn't work like that. Well, make it work like that. I don't have a switch. I'm I'm not a robot. I I can't just, you know, flip a switch saying, okay, you know, uh, be good in school and stuff like that. School has always been tough with me. And 
And that also falls under the uh, the other one where this is really this is really horrible. You could be normal if you tried. What is normal? Yeah. And I would note on this um, about buckle down and try harder to behave that for parents, it can be really hard to accept um, and the process of going through this and discovering that your child is not what you thought it would be or you know would be in the future. And I know that for me, it was also a struggle at first until I read a really interesting blog. I can't remember where or who it was, but they talked about how when you have the diagnosis of autism that as a parent, you need to look at it as a grieving process and that you need to allow yourself to go through that grieving process because you need to grieve for the child you thought you had, thought you would have in order to love and accept the one you do have. And I would just say to parents out there, you know, you're, you're going to go through those moments of being angry, angry, sad. Why my child um, even bargain to say, please, you know, make this go away or, you know, something like that. But I would say, let yourself go through that process. Don't get stuck in any stage or any step. But for me, once I realized that it was okay to be a little angry for a little bit or it was okay to be a little sad for a little bit. Um, and once I worked through those emotions, I was so ready to just take on everything with Lucas and um, just help him to the best of my ability. Yeah. And again, that's all you can do. As a parent, there's only so much you can do and the results are all up to them. And that's also something else I wanted to um, quickly address is that... Um, you know, uh, <clears throat> when it comes to uh, guiding a child, especially with uh, autism, if you give them a piece of advice and they don't follow it, it's not because they're saying, screw your advice, I'll do what I want. It's probably because they have a better solution. And there's a lot of parents out there or just people in general that they'll give advice, the other person doesn't follow it, and the person who gave the advice gets all butthurt about it. So, you know, we, we have the right to take your advice and accept it. And we also have the right to reject it. And for those who get all butthurt over it, you know, don't give the advice if you're gonna, you know, if you expect your advice to be not followed. I think that goes across the board for everyone. Everybody, yeah. Everybody, the human race in general. Absolutely. More tolerance and acceptance, <laughs> patience and kindness. Yeah, totally. Uh, another thing I also wanted to address is that we'll probably say this in, a, in another episode, but, um, is uh, there, I also found a list of things not to say with people with Asperger's, but that's another topic for another time. So we're just going to go ahead and uh, wrap it up from there. Uh, hopefully, uh, we'll um, we'll get a lot of uh, attention from this. Um, for for those who want to um, communicate, we'll we'll probably leave some um, some uh, communication um, links, like say maybe a Facebook or a or an email or whatnot. And if you have any questions. Please feel free to ask. Uh, anything you want to add? No, nope. just um, for all the parents out there, just you're, you're doing the best you can and, and hang in there one day at a time. And for those who are on the spectrum, you are worth it. We love you. All right, guys, thanks for listening and tune in for the next episode. See you later.